Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book, so you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. It talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Anna Jacobson, uh, she's what's called like an alternative health or alternative practitioner. Uh, she works with Qigong uh, mobility using various methods, uh, reducing stress and fear in your life. Uh, she's been doing it for, well, she's been studying for 20 plus years about correlations between the body and movement and cognition. And I'm going to let her tell the rest of her story. But uh, Anna, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Richard. Yeah. I just want to give people a tidbit, but tell me about your background and your story. Yeah, well, my story is kind of winded, but yes, I started out as an architect, but I was always interested in the reason why things were the way they were. And at some point I started in uh, how buildings can express what people wanted to say or how the cultures at the time when it was built. And then one day I discovered that bodies are in a way just like buildings. <laughs> I started doing um, martial arts yeah, some 20 years ago, and I started really observing people, how, to, how they moved, and I watched myself learning through moving, and I realized that my writing became better, my thinking became more clear, I was more calm, and um, so I started to really wanting to better understand the connection between movement and intelligence as we see it, so that was the beginning of it. Well, what, what do you mean you're by studying movement, your cognition and everything got better. What did you do specifically? Well, I did. Well, I started out with Aikido, which is a Japanese martial or movement art, and um, Chinese movement arts such as Tai Chi and Qigong and similar things. 
And at the same time, I was working as a, not as an architect anymore, as a copywriter and author. And so, which is where you have to produce a lot of text in short time and really understand complicated connections and correlations that you can put them into simple words. And I could literally see how while I was working during the day, taking classes at night, practicing in the morning, the more I just kind of had the schedule of moving and writing, I was becoming more and more efficient in my work. It was very interesting to see. Before you'd sit down to write, you would do like an Aikido session or what would you do? What was the flow like? In the morning, I would go in the park and do some Tai Chi or something like that. And I had my routines. And then because I was studying it, I had my forms that I was training. And then I would work in the morning. And then at lunchtime, I did a little bit of stretching and stuff like that. And then did some more work. And then I would go to class in the evening. Yeah, I've been doing... um... Chen and some young style Tai Chi for like six years and mm-hmm. I, I didn't do it in the way you do but you know after I after I do a session I always feel better it's hard to describe how but I just feel better but it sounds mm-hmm. like you took it to another level and combined it I guess with writing or used it to prepare yourself to get your other work done in the day like what so you would do a session in the morning how would you feel and then what would the work be like for you uh, versus not having done it well, just like you say, one feels kind of fresh and also the body feels calmer and also like it's been cared for. And I mean, if you sit and write, you're really very, in my opinion, now as a somatic practitioner, I think sitting and writing is actually a really difficult sport. It's like athlete as a form of athletic work because you, sitting still in one place is not what we were made for. So if you had some movement and some I, I say moved your chi a little bit with the with the exercises and with the forms, then um, the body can be more calm and it, it feels more like it's not mm. neglected. They, they used to call this recess in school where mm-hmm. they would actually let kids out to play and run around in the middle of the day. So when they come back to do the rest of their work, they were calmer and could get more done. But now I don't think they do too much of that, which is sad. Yeah, I think kids need to move more than do their work. When you see kids who can move a lot, they like on their bikes going up and down the hill and they're so much more courageous and they're adventurous in their movements. And that I think that really frees the mind. Well, I can tell you when I take my kids and we're out of the house and they're not on their phones and mm. we're going somewhere, you know, we're walking around somewhere, we're out and about, uh, they're much happier when they're yeah. home. And if they're on their phones, they're very grumpy, short with each other and you know, emotional in a in a bad way. So mm-hmm. exercise and being outside helps tremendously. I've seen with, I mean, just with everything. I, I remember working as an engineer at, um, you know, like Motorola and Intel and stuff like that. Nothing wrong with them, but, you know, you're in a cubicle with fluorescent lights and it always felt like four in the morning. And it, mm-hmm. it felt like it drained my energy and it didn't, made me not want to work. Mm-hmm. And when I go outside and hang out, you know, like I didn't smoke, but if I hang out with the smokers, I felt a lot better just being outside. We're going out for lunch and a lot of people just stayed in and stayed at their desk. And I don't know how they did it. Yeah, that's a, actually a really funny kind of thing about smoking. I did some like uh, recreational work for office people for a while and I found the most healthy people were the smokers. <laughs> they would go outside and get some fresh air and everybody else was just sitting or they... So, all right, so you, you did Tai Chi and that helped you. What else? You said you did uh, some motion exercise. Uh, was it Feldenkrais or... Was it Nagaskyu um, or what, what was the movement uh, that you were doing? Oh, I was doing all 
kinds of I sometimes I just get a book with a new stretching form and try to learn it from the book or stuff like that and um but I really did a lot of Chinese I mean they have these all these isometric stands where you can stand for half an hour and stuff like that and your shoulders relax and you find a better posture and stuff like that. so a lot of that and yeah so and so then, did you come up with a system like you, did you start training people on doing movement themselves like when did this move from a personal practice to working with customers? Yeah, a few few years after I trained myself, I, I wanted to remember my forms. And so I started this practice group with some friends. So we just did the forms together. So it helps to teach somebody to, to better understand it yourself. And then also I started teaching kids in Aikido. And so that's kind of where I started to find out that actually I was having fun and really wasn't so bad at teaching these teaching movement really and that took it into a more professional scope so i started also one of my teachers was an osteopath and so he brought in this whole idea of uh, working with the body in on the, in one-on-one -on -one sessions and the whole anatomy and and i mean and you use arm locks and all kinds of stuff in aikido so knowing more about the anatomy was really helpful and so i just kept going with studying and then, so what do you what do you hear from clients as to why they want to work with you, and then what do they say when they do their first session? Like, are there any common themes that you hear? Usually, they say you don't do much <laughs> because I work very subtly. So um, they come with often with pain, often also with emotional issues, and usually it's like we call it somatizing. I think like when you have like depression or um, also stress in the office, and it's it can be like restrictive stress, like not being able to move during your work, but also emotional stress, like too much work, too many deadlines, or like all these things, that, like right now with COVID and not being able to meet friends and all that puts stress. And then, so I work with the nervous system and the endocrine system and the muscular skeletal system. So I work on different levels and it's very subtle, kind of based on the idea that the body is made out of water and um, so I work with resonance through the body and that's very calming and it kind of puts together, back together what's been disassociating, fractured through unphysiological conditions. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. If that well, so people say it, it doesn't feel like they're doing much. I guess the movements maybe are small, slow, gentle, nothing crazy like a workout, right? Yeah, mostly they're laying on the massage table and I work, I put my hands on there. I start with the feet and I just kind of find the places that are restricted. But it's not like a massage in the sense that I go deep into the facial tissue and, and it's not painful or anything. It's more like almost like a sonar projection. And so 
from a mo motion point of view, it's not a lot of work, but um, it still a lot can happen when tissue can relax and you can feel that it gets warm and so it just kind of becomes more uh, connected and relaxed. Are you touching the person or is this yeah, more like yeah. Reiki mm -hmm. or yeah, it's energy it's, healing? It's touch. It's with touch. Because I've, I've had like Reiki before, or mm -hmm. Reiki, and they don't touch you, you know, but they move their hands over and you, you could feel warmth and things like that. But is this like an intermediate between massage and Reiki or like, like how would you describe what you do? Well, it's based on osteopathy, but I think in the United States, the concept of osteopathy is different than here. But the basics of osteopathy is hands-on work, right? And But you work with the different systems of the body, like with the organs, which is visceral osteopathy, and um, craniosacral, which works with the nervous system, and then the muscular skeletal parietal. So these are like the, that's what I learned first, the basics, the fundamentals of osteopathy. And then I added other things like I know a little bit about traditional Chinese medicine and the meridians and so basically it's touching but knowing very 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 informed touch it's not just like yeah I'm going here and there and it feels nice it's more like I know exactly where the organs are how they move how, what I just kind of know my way around in the body and then I can find places that don't feel and yeah it's 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 complex and it, mm. it's just more and more informed the more you work well, is there an example that you can remember that really stands out at you? Like someone had stomach pain or their lower back was tight or whatever. And, you know, what did you do to them and what did they experience? Like, are there any particular examples that jump out at you in your past? Yeah. One thing is where it really works nicely are accidents, like motorcycle accidents, for example. And they can be like people got really beat beat up by, and during the accident. And these memories of impact can stay in the body for a long time and i can come somehow feel the the impact and then with the soft touch that i give the body can let go of like it's still holding some of the stress or shock from that moment and with my touch and my awareness of what happened i can help it to finish the movement that couldn't be finished and then it comes back into a neutral place like and at that point i can often also perceive emotional stress that had been at the time like the state the person was in when the accident happened or around that time and also literally things like leather sliding over concrete or asphalt or stuff like that so it's really amazing what kind of information is stored in the cells and that can be that still has a vibration and a resonance that can be perceived so that's just one area where I work also in the field of uh, birth trauma like for women who gave birth and had a difficult time and for the babies and even I mean everybody had has been born so that can also be like 50 years ago like people who had premature birth and they were in the incubator for a while that is, has a great impact on mobility and there's lots of things like that and the results usually are it needs like one or two sessions until the body understands what happens but then the result is a lot of relaxation and calmness that comes to the people they can sleep better if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes they feel just generally more calm often they change they start getting rid of stuff they talk differently to their friends they're like all kinds of things happen really um so what what, what you do what is it called does it have a formalized name or is it something yeah. that's a hybrid of things you made up? It's it's a hybrid 
thing I made up, but I it does have a title. I'm like a somatic movement educator and therapist. And um, so that includes the hands-on work. It includes repatterning, which is hands-on, but movement, guided movement and movement all together. Like I'm just, be, it's a combination of different things. I give people exercises and I move with them if necessary. So I always try to see what's necessary. Okay. There's an association in, in, in the United States, the International Somatic Movement and Education it's on my website. <laughs> so is this is this you doing the work and the person laying there passively or is the person also doing motion and squeezing and holding and doing posture type work? Like how active is the person? That depends. Um, I always try to keep them engaged so that they use their breath for perception. And so that, that can be very active in a way. If you're not aware of your breath normally and you kind of try to allow the breath to flow with the work. That's a, some, like a learning curve. And then um, in the repatterning, I work with people and I guide them in certain movements. Like after an accident, the leg may not have the same way of axis, movement axis. Like if you twist your ankle, it may always have a little turn in it and then you twist it again. So the foot has to learn again to move in the axis of the joint. And so I move it in that direction and I try to do that together with the person. And then sometimes we stand up and we move in po through postures and yeah, that, but that's like rare. But then also in my Qigong teaching, I t continue to do that. I work for, more with posture and balance and these things. Yeah, that's a little bit of a different field. Can you do this work on yourself or it has to be someone else doing the work to feel the restrictions and everything? No, no, you can definitely do a lot on yourself. And I actually came to what I do now through doing stuff for myself. So there's... The Qigong is a really good way to enter that process, like, and any kind of somatic system. You can start with the breath and, like, breathe in a certain, like, the central meridian, like, or little circles in the body and, and breathe into pain and make, imagine that the tissue moves in that area or that the, there's flow there and that actually helps the flow, literally. And then also, if you stand and you balance, and you can feel where you're holding yourself through the body. It actually tells it to you. And you can de develop a certain awareness of it. And that's something I teach. Yeah, I, I have some videos on that on my YouTube channel. So yeah. what's some of the nuance in it or the what parts of it are really interesting to you that maybe you haven't figured out yet, but you're getting an intuition that you're getting closer? Or you know, what are some deeper knowledge that, um, you know, now that you've been doing this for a while, what are you experiencing? Where is it heading for you? Well, it takes me into all kinds of wild places. I've, I mean, I've always been very curious. And the, so some of your podcasts have given me important clues to that. Like I'm really interested in the, the awareness of the cell, cell consciousness and things like that, because I'm perceiving so much through cellular awareness and way through my, within myself, within, uh, with other people and accessing that. So You've had a few scientists who talked about the consciousness of the cell, like Arthur Reber and William Myers, I think. I quite remember. Oh, Arthur Reber and Bill Miller. And, yeah, and Miller, a few people Miller. have talked about consciousness. And a, a lady named Pamela Lyon, Lyon, L-Y-O-N, I just interviewed. So there's a few people that are talking about cellular consciousness at mm -hmm. various levels. Yeah, yeah and I think we can actually, like, if we train ourselves, we can actually perceive that or we can read it almost like we can read it we can actually really connect with that communication and the consciousness of the cells so i don't think it's so it's just a practice 
and that really changes the way one sees the world like because cells i mean they are in the body and they're in trees and like every living being is made of cells so there's if you can actually exchange on that level you can learn a lot about other beings so that sounds probably a little wild but it's a very practical in a way so that's something i'm just really interested in okay what's what's now for the future of your practice like what are you learning that you want to apply to people well i just finished the training the somatic movement education so for this moment i'm more like applying what i learned another field where i'm really uh, working is the field of grief and trauma resolution and i'm taking these i'm i've gone through these different rite of passage group work processes and i'm learning to run groups like that myself so that's a different way of accessing the unconscious and the um, creative mind more and and dealing with loss and uh, crisis on a creative level that's something that i'm i'm i want to bring movement into that concept a lot and just kind of see how i can actually offer that to people i think that's a very important thing well what what mysteries are there still you know i, I would bet that you work on people and certain things you know oh, okay i got this and you clear it up and certain things are more stubborn and maybe certain things you just can't help so what are those things and why and are you getting any insight and trying to go deeper into helping people where before you couldn't i think in a way every person has their own mysteries but then people like i think if the more you know about things the, the people come with even more difficult conditions to you and so i find like depression is really still a place where i'm sometimes a little clueless if you want to call it that i don't know another a better word for that but um where you where just because it's it's a condition where you kind of cease to feel and so that my work is about feeling so in a way it's very helpful to restore the capacity to feel but it's there is this huge gap and that's something that i'm very interested in because i see it happen a lot but i don't really know i don't have a, a ready solution for that at all well, you mentioned you do some you do uh, some visceral manipulation with the organs. So, what's that mm -hmm. about? Because that sounds uh, unusual. Yeah, it's as I said, it's part of osteopathy. It works with the the connective tissue around the organs, and every organ has a little like movement of its own that comes out of embryologic uh, times when they grew the organs, and it's kind of like a little back and forth pulsation and so you can feel whether this is a freely uh, the organ is moving like a kidney is it moving or is it kind of stuck up underneath the rib or is it kind of depressed down and more towards the pelvis and can it float back up and down or is it just in that place and then finding out why is it there and how can i help it to be more freed in its movement because then all the the blood and the, the interstitial fluids and so they can't really nourish the cells if if it's if the facial movement is restricted and so i kind of go very softly and project inside to find every organ has also a certain energetic quality so you can find it and with help the help of the anatomy of course and then what, what do you mean each them. each each organ has an energetic quality what do you mean like what well, is the, the heart versus the liver let's say yeah, that's almost, yeah, the liver is very big underneath the diaphragm. And then the heart has a pulse, obviously. So that's a, already a very big difference. 
the liver is just a very, very large kind of spongy organ. And then if you feel the gallbladder that's right underneath the liver, it's very condensed, a little a piece of like a sac and then a tube. And so, but you can really feel the gallbladder and people who are very angry or have uh, aggression issues, you can often very strongly feel this radiation from the gallbladder. <laughs> it's hard to describe, but when you feel it, when you start practicing, you can actually tell it. It's not that hard then. It sounds strange, but it's it's like once you know where things are and you always find it, you just know, oh, this is the pancreas here. It's going that way. Well, I've learned where the organs are in my body. You know, when you look down, but I, I realize a lot of people have no clue. You know, if I look down, I know to my right, just, you know, under my ribs is my liver and my gallbladder and the pancreas mm -hmm. is like kind of center left and left. And, but most people don't know. They don't know where the intestines go and everything. And I learned a little bit of organ massage. Like my wife will do it on me or I'll do it on her. And it helps tremendously. You know, it sounds like you've gone to a level, obviously much deeper. So yeah, like, yeah. The, the what, what would be your protocol? Yeah, what, what would be your product? Like, do you ever do a generic organ massage where you're moving the organs around? Or like, what what would you do when you encounter an organ that's, let's say, tight or out of place? Or, you know, what do you do physically? Yeah, for each organ has its own different um, treatment. Like the, the bladder is in the pelvic floor. So if the bladder is constricted, I would work with the pelvis and the pelvic floor t structures to help it relax. Or if you have the intestines themselves, they have these sphincters like the pylorus that's between the stomach and the duodenum and they can be a little cramped so i help the these little sphincters to relax and then that helps the peristaltic to move better and they can really make a tremendous difference for the digestion or stomach if the stomach is very stressed sometimes it helps to just put the hand there for a while and calm bring some calm into that particular area and um, then you, the stomach can be a little less tense or stuff like that. And then often also you find that that side, the shoulders, painful. So a lot of the organ restriction radiates into the limbs or in certain areas of the rib cage. And so you work with, if I work with these regions, it can also help the organ. So there's always like a correlation between the different parts of the body and like okay, with the kidneys, then... they also have the adrenal glands so there's also a hormonal aspect to the kidneys so if there's a lot of stress of course you have a lot of adrenal gland activity and if you can calm that down it'll also help the the kidney to move better and so it's very complex but fun do you did you get special licensure for this or what did you do i just took a lot of classes and i had some teachers here in cologne who taught me all these things and then you just practice a lot and yeah, I I just took a lot of classes, basically. <laughs> yeah. If okay. you go to an osteopathy school, they teach you all this stuff. Well, in the U.S., we have chiropractors, we have osteopaths. I don't know much about what osteopaths do. It seems mm -hmm. like they do what chiropractors do, but just in a, a slightly different way. But I haven't really found almost anyone that works on your organs. I mean, I've mm -hmm. been to an acupuncturist and they work on their stuff. I've been to massage therapists, I've been to chiropractors, but... It sounds like what you do is very rare. Uh, have mm -hmm. you found that to be the case? Yeah, I think in, in the States, the osteopaths have a better standing than here. So they don't do as much hands-on work. They're more like work in hospitals and all that. So here, osteopathy is a very alternative method. And people, when they say osteopathy, they do that. So yeah, but I, you're right. I haven't really found anybody doing that in the States so far. So I think in the States, it's pretty unusual. 
Where are you located? I'm sorry. I'm in Germany in Cologne. Yeah. Okay. What's what's the culture like in Germany for the kind of work you do? Is it supportive or is it do they view it as suspicious or Yeah, uh, both. Actually a lot of people go come and enjoy and 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 are looking for alternative solutions especially for chronic pain and stuff like that. But on a legal level we're facing a few challenges at the moment with because of science and skepticism. Yeah. What do you mean? What's going on? Yeah, there's a debate. There's a very specific status for alternative health practitioners. They have to take a make a certification, which is kind of like a little bit like a medical exam. It's a pretty difficult medical exam, but it's considered not enough training. And then so it's just a, a an attempt to change the legal situation so that people can't go down that way anymore. So that you have to study and, and do a whole doctor's training to be able to practice to offer alternative methods so but it's just kind of like a it's, it's still in the process and, and the legal people are making documentations and discuss different right. things. you never know what's going to come out of it okay any other what other places do you want to take your practice like you know in addition to this you mentioned pregnancy and birth and i know that's very important to you what innovations do you see need to be made there you said you're helping people with like this traumatic stress that they may have literally had all their lives from the moment they're born, from their birth. Can we talk about that a little bit? Let's talk about the birth angle. Yeah, that's a really huge thing that we're not really aware of a lot. Because, like, for example, just women giving birth and having a traumatic birth um, often have problems with their hip joints. And uh, because they are, like, in this position of having to give birth with their legs spread and then there's like a lot of holding and that later on in older age can actually lead to hip joint problems and even hip replacement and it's it's really underestimated so if women would if a problem like that occurred and they could get treatment from somebody like me afterwards then they would like get over that post-traumatic stress and their hip would be fine again and then they wouldn't have problems in older age so these are things that are actually really uh, helpful and cost saving in the long run and then if you're a child and you have a traumatic experience at birth that can really impact your whole way of perceiving the world and um, partly through the movement because everything goes through the body at that age you don't have much of a cognitive reflection and so like people who as i said lay in an incubator for a longer period of time they can't move they don't bond with their mother they have a very passive way of perceiving and and they kind of wait for things to happen rather than going actively and take like the world is my oyster kind of attitude yeah it's interesting so, so how someone is born and how they exist in the first what day of life reflects on their whole life personality especially the experience of birth is such a initiation so if it's a really successful way then that provides a lot of confidence and you can go through like really wild rides and you don't worry that you're going to come out on the other end right but if you if for some reason like something happens that is very scary and then you maybe the mother gets tranquil uh, anesthet anesthetized and you lose the memory of it and then there's like almost like a disassociation with the um experience and you don't experience the happy end that it actually has because if you live you have a successful birth obviously so then you you can always have this fear in your body that you don't really know where it comes from or if you have a cesarean you just don't have this struggle of going through the birth canal and coming out and into the light you just kind of 
happily in the belly and then suddenly somebody opens up the uterus and then you, there's the light and there you are. So sometimes you can actually feel that in people's bodies and in their way of how they receive touch, it tells me something about that early age. What do you mean how they receive touch? Like what, you touch someone, they flinch. If you touch them, what does that tell you? Or if you touch someone yeah, and they, they, can be they very look at you, what happens? Uncomfortable or very passive. Like the people who have been in an incubator, I've, I recognize that a certain pass, impassivity, like they just allow me to do any, that's like to do anything. And I always <laughs> am very cautious about how I approach because I know like we don't know each other. It's the first time I lay on a massage table and the person comes and puts their hand on me. It's It's not a usual thing that happens every day, right? So I'm very conscious about this first meeting between me and this person. So I don't want to cause any more extra anxiety or stress. I want to actually help. So I am always engaging the person that I touch. And, and with certain experiences like the incubation time, for example, incubator time, I find that people just, they don't have any reaction. <laughs> but if you imagine like a, a little baby laying there and they change their tubes and light is on all the time and they don't understand what's going on so they just kind of resign to whatever is going to happen and that stays with them and things but, like uh, that it, it's not too yeah, well, underestimated well what mm -hmm. other what other things that happen during birth can you tell like can you tell if someone was breastfed or natural birth or a cesarean yeah cesarean sometimes it depends and it's it's very individual. Uh, one thing, like sometimes people have neck problems that can come from birth. Like it's actually a syndrome. I think it's called CIS or something like that. It's a cranial syndrome where they, and then these kids cry a lot when they're small. And then pe these people often have still a, like a little bit of a stiff neck when they grow up. And so one can work with that and help. And that actually interestingly reflects back on other things. Like I had a, a girl who was going through exams at the university and she just was so, she just got these panic attacks. And then we found that it really came through birth. So the, the coming through, like from shifting from one transitioning from one state, like being a student into being a professional, or that was like almost like another birth. And so then she had um, this this old experience got triggered of her birth and it kept her from being successful in her exams. So that's also something that can happen. Well, is there an age at which this stuff doesn't happen anymore or it could happen anytime? An age? Like if, you know, is it, is it more likely to happen in someone that's in their 20s versus someone in their 70s? I mean, they've been around for a while. Yeah. Would they still be affected by their birth? Yeah, yeah. If you don't work with it, it stays with you. That's the wild thing about the cells they don't forget anything if it's not re resolved it's always going to be almost like a reality for you that gets called up and especially prenatal and perinatal things because they're not con consciously reflected at all like later in life when something happens and you're lucky then somebody comes and you t tell them about it and, and they really empathize with, with you and then you kind of can resolve it right and then you feel better and relaxed and you can let it go but if you can't do that then it kind of stays in the body and that can affect you yeah a lot of people who come are in their 60s and 70s and i can really help them yeah, well, well, have you ever worked on someone that's like 100 years old or someone super super <laughs> no. super old i wish i could but 100 years no i've seen 80 year olds but 100 no have you worked on anyone that's had intense trauma where they allowed you to work on them 
you know, someone was, let's say, attacked or raped or something really, really bad happened to them? And did you work on them? And what did you notice? Like, what, what would you say, you know, without naming names, obviously, was like your most intense case, if you're mm-hmm. okay to remember it? I work with a lot of intense cases and, and cases of abuse are pretty, yeah. And, and often people don't even really know what happened to them. And I couldn't say anything really specific, like tell a specific story because it's just too intimate. But it's one of the things that um, I learn about when I, in our first meeting, when I see how people receive touch. And um, if somebody has had an experience of being um a victim of unconsensual sex- sexual attacks or something like that you can really feel the it's almost like you're freezing in the tissue when you, it's it's just it's really a very distressing so yes i work with that and i always try to maintain a very understanding and calm open and especially always having a dialogue so that the person often isn't even aware of what they're feeling. They kind of check out and leave the body. And so to, it's just even an, an, a practice to make them notice that they leave so that they can slowly, slowly dare to not have to do that. And that'll be very, very slow work. So if I can, sometimes people are so traumatized in their body that if I manage to be with them and t- touch them in a place that they're not too afraid and they can stay for a while a little while then that's already a success so one has to be really that's why the first session is always very important just to make a to to create a connection and understand what's really going on and you can never do something successfully to somebody that they don't want to be a part of right so we always have to it's always a cooperation and so um, i have to be very aware of all these possibilities because People don't tell you a lot about themselves in the first anamnesis. And so it's it's an interesting <laughs> process. Well, very cool. Well, Anna, do you work with people over Zoom? Can you do that or it has to be in person? Well, obviously the massage, the, the hands-on stuff has to be in person. I definitely do also coaching with people, different crisis coaching, movement coaching, Qigong und classes, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I do stuff online, intuitive coaching. Oh, could you help someone? I mean, could you online help someone? Let's say you have a married couple and, you know, the the husband's hurting in some weird way. And can you train the wife over Zoom to help them with you right there? Or you really have to be there? Like how, how far can you go to help somebody remotely if you can't be with them if they're too far away? Well, it's always better to be there in person because you can give a physical experience. But I find that I'm pretty good at describing stuff and uh, giving examples so that people can actually relate to what I mean through their own experience. And so I think I could teach people through Zoom to do certain things. Yeah, sure. I haven't really done that a lot, but I've done it. Yeah, so that would be possible. I know you haven't prepared anything for the podcast, but on the fly, could you, for listeners that are listening, have them do something like, I don't know, put their hand on their liver or something and feel something? Like, what, what, what do you think you can tell them? Well, that's a really good thing, yeah, to just put your hands on your belly and feel the breathing. Or another thing that's really good if you... If you wanna, like you smashed your wrist or something, you can put your wrist on the on the table so that it the hand hangs down and like over the edge of the table, and then you take the other hand and you just kind of slightly touch, like hold your own hand, and then you can like the idea of hands moving on water, like the touch isn't like grabbing the hand, it's just like feeling the skin, and then the the lighter the touch, 
the more you can feel the the movement of the other hand and then just kind of follow that movement and then the hand will do a little dance of itself its own and it can really relax the wrist that's something that might have it's easier if you have a video obviously than i can right, show right. yeah but uh, i have like for example i have a youtube channel where cho show qigong form and there's some an exercise where you can stand and balance on your two feet and then really relax your shoulders and head. And it's not even like a movement. It's just standing, feeling the weight of your shoulders fall through the body and to the feet. And then, yeah, if you put your hands on your body and you don't do it in a way that you grab, like functionally grab, but the idea of having hands that just touch slightly and then feel the, the interchange between the touch of the hand and the skin that the hand touches, you'll be amazed what actually happens. And it gives you an idea of how I work because that's how I touch. Okay. Well, Anna, what, what are some resources for listeners that are interested and curious about you? Where can they go? I have a website, my name, AnnaJacobson.de. And I actually have a little bit of a blog that I'm just building where I'm writing about just these all these phenomena that I'm interested in, the somatic field. Yeah, of course, email me and um, contact me in any way, shape or form. I'd always be happy to have feedback and questions. And, what, and what's have, the name uh, of your uh, YouTube channel? Well, you mentioned your YouTube channel. What's the name of that? It's German. It's Qigong im Nordpark, which means Qigong in the North Park. It's a group that mm. I run. And so... Yeah, but you can find the link on my website. Okay, so AnnaJacobson.de. Anna Jacobson, one word. Okay. Uh, and it, I have it in English. I have it in German and English, the website. So It's great. Read it. Mm -hmm. Well, Anna, thank you so much for coming. It's been a really good call. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you, Richard. Thank you for asking all these interesting questions. And I really appreciate your work. So I'm very happy that you gave me the opportunity. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.